this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. One of our... Um just driving forces as a body of Christ is that we don't exist just simply for ourselves, but God has called us to be the church, to love the world that's around us. The way that we talk about what we're called to do as a church, we're said, we say we're here to love God, to love the church, and to love the world. That we want to be the kind of church that we have wholehearted obedience to God. That we would know what he says to us through his word. That we would have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That we would live through the power of his Holy Spirit. And then out of that love, it then gets poured out on others around us. That, that we would love the church. That we would gather in groups with one another and encourage each other. And then it wouldn't just stay among us as believers. But then we go out to the world around us and share the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. That's our heartbeat. Now, I I realize that in in our current climate, where we're at and things that uh, are are challenging our culture and our world right now, it would be easy for for us to kind of pull back and retreat and just kind of huddle up. But we don't want to just simply pull back from the world that's around us. We want to continue to go forward in love, speaking the truth in love. And so I, I thought it'd be important for us to kind of look at what does it mean for you and I to have courage? The kind of contagious courage that would make a difference in our lives and the world around us. And so this week, what we're going to talk about is being certain, being certain. We want to have certainty, and that certainty then gives us courage. Reader's Digest had an article some time ago by a a gentleman written by Warren Greeley. Now, Warren Greeley was working at a college campus. He was part of a construction crew, and they were digging. And as they were digging there on the college campus, they ran across an underground power line. And uh, Warren said, you know, I, I I suspected it was only an abandoned line. But to be safe, I called the maintenance department and asked for someone to come to identify it. An electrician arrived, looked at the cable, and assured us it was dead. Just cut it out of your way, he said. Are you sure there's no danger, I asked. He replied, I'm sure. I handed him the wire cutters and asked, well, then will you cut it for us? He hesitated for a moment and with a slight smile said, I'm not that sure. (laughs) How sure are you that heaven is your home? How certain and assured are you that when you die, you will meet Jesus Christ face to face? See, this is the certainty that we need. Are you willing to stake your life on your belief that yes, you are ready to meet Jesus, to go to heaven when you die? You see, a a certain, a certain future, so being sure of our future, gives us courage today. Knowing that we have heaven out in front of us, it changes our perspective of what we're experiencing right now. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, but in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul said this in verse chapter 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, like if all we have is just kind of like this hope but no certainty of a future with God in heaven forever, if what we have is hope in this life only, we are all of all people most 
to be pitied. Go ahead and just pity us because all we've got is like this fantasy idea, this, this idea that maybe sometime we might go to heaven. If that's all we've got, pity us. Then Peter says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Just like Jesus had told uh, the, the followers, it, 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 you can be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So heaven is not just some kind of thing where it's going to comfort us in the final stages of our life. No, it says it is a living hope that we have. And that living hope gives us courage right now. That certainty that when we die, when we leave here, that we go to heaven, that gives us a meaningful life now and it emboldens us. It gives us a courageous life to live right now. A certain future gives us courage in the present. A certain future gives us courage in the present. So as I mentioned, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So open your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5. And this is the spot where Paul begins to speak of the assuredness of heaven, the assuredness that we have in Christ. And I don't find it just simply happenstance that we're going to be reading and speaking about heaven today. In this afternoon, we're going to have the funeral service for Don Kennedy. We have so many loved ones in our church family that have recently passed away. Even some people who are watching right now had loved ones who have died within the last week or two. And I believe that you know God brings us across his word at just the right moment so that we might be encouraged. And I know for many of you who, who know Don Kennedy, one of the elders in our church, uh, it'd be your desire to be in Wilkinson at that funeral. And it's a limited number of people. And it's a difficult time where we can't be in the room. So in essence... It's almost as I'm preparing for this and, and sharing this message with you today, we are reminded once again that these funerals that we have, when it's a loved one who knows Christ, it's a celebration. And so Don comes to mind and so many others as, as we share what we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want us to remember a certain future gives us courage in the present. Verse 1, for we know... And we're going to come back to that phrase, we know. For we know that if the tent, that's our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I think the key phrase right here is, we know. We know means I'm certain. I know. I am assured. And what we are certain of, what we know is, we know that there's a better life waiting for us. Amen? Amen. There's a better life waiting for us. Now, Paul himself was a tent maker. That was his trade. And so here he is, he's reminding us that our earthly bodies, it's like a tent. Uh, for those that are watching online right now to interact, how many of you have gone camping before? Maybe where's your favorite place to go camping? You can type that in the comments there on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, how many in here, you've gone camping before? Okay, lots of you. Uh, how many have been tent camping? All right, that's a, whoa, many of you. All right. So uh, anybody ever put up like the tent in the rain or take it down in the rain? That's me. Yeah, that's the worst. That's like, that's awful. Now, those of you that have been camping, you've been in a tent, you realize that tent is really made for something temporary. It's not something that you want to do forever. Verse two reads like this. For in this tent, we groan. 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now we realize life has some wonderful moments. There are some really high moments in this life where we're like, yes, I'm enjoying life. This is great. This is wonderful. But I would say, generally speaking, the older that we get, we begin thinking, I wouldn't mind getting out of this tent and going home. I remember sensing that when I'm taking down the tent in the rain. I would prefer, I just want to be home. Verse three, if indeed by putting it on, putting that heavenly dwelling, that heavenly building, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So our bodies are destructible. They're falling apart and our heavenly home is indestructible. It will not fade. Our bodies are full of brokenness and burdens and groaning, but the one to come is full of glory. Right, So a certain future, thinking about that heavenly dwelling that we're going to have a brand new body, that gives us courage and hope in this moment. And compared to what's coming, when we start to think about heaven and what that's like, you start looking around at what we're experiencing right now, and it's like a, a stop off at a rundown motel. Compared to what's coming for us, This we're living in a shack right now, and it pales in comparison to what God has for us. I would just encourage you, if you want to do a little more reading on heaven or just kind of set your mind there, Randy Alcorn has a great book called Heaven. I find that when I read books on heaven, I just have this longing, this groaning, like, man, I would prefer to be there, to be in Jesus's presence right now. And that just begins to fill me with courage. Like, I realize that the things that are going in my life, the, all the pain, the difficulty, the challenges, they're momentary, and I have heaven out in front of us. I am sure. He goes on, he says this, for while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. How do we know that? How do we know that there's life after death? Well, our, our hope that there's a heaven isn't really built on, on wishes or just you know an assumption that we have or some clever idea that's been made up by man. Our assurance that there is a heaven is based on the words of God. The words from God. And again, so we come to this place where we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe the Bible? Do I really believe that the words that have been passed down to us come from God? And I'm going to put my faith and my trust in what he says. Or am I just going to simply believe this This is made up or I'll take this part and won't take that part. If you begin to do that, you have nothing to stand on. But if we begin to realize God in his sovereignty and wisdom and love has sent to us his word on the matter so that we might know what life means, so we might know how to live, then we begin to look at these words and we say, well, this comes from God himself and from his word, and I can land on a solid foundation when I have that faith and trust in his written word to us. This is what we find. Jesus said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And over and over, Jesus would say, I'm God. The Father and I, we're one. And the place where we find that is written in God's word. And when you believe God's word, you begin to understand this came from Jesus. And he's telling me, I don't have to be troubled. I get to believe in God and I get to believe in him. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Would I have lied to you, in other words? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go 
and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And the reason that we believe this, the reason that we believe the words of Jesus is because of who he is and what he demonstrated, that he is, in fact, God in the flesh, living a perfect life, doing miraculous things, that he died on a cross for our sins, that he was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he's God. This is what we place our faith and trust in. As Christians, we believe in the literal, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is evidence to support that. There are eyewitnesses, lots of eyewitnesses who saw it. We've seen transformation in people's lives. We have seen miraculous things from God. We know that it is true. And we are promised that Jesus is the example of what's going to happen to us. That just as Jesus Christ was resurrected, you and I will be resurrected through him as well. We know, we know that there's a better life waiting for us. And a certain future gives us courage in the present. Here's the second thing that I think we find. Verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So if you were going to go out and you're going to buy a car or you're going to buy a home, you would put a deposit down on that car or that home. And that deposit is your guarantee that you're going to follow through with the promise. I'm I'm going to pay for this thing. So we are certain because the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. We're certain because the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. God has made a deposit of his spirit, his life in us through this guarantee, through this Holy Spirit. It's saying, I'm going to fulfill my promise that there is a better life out in front of you. And the way that you will know this, I'm going to guarantee this with the indwelling of my spirit. And that spirit is going to seal you, keep you until that day. So we have this guarantee and we are certain because we have the spirit of God. Here's how Paul wrote it to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. If the spirit, this would be the Holy Spirit, God himself, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is the guarantee. That is the deposit. That is the promise that you and I don't have just this life and then we're done. We have eternal life that's waiting for us. Why? Because of the spirit of God himself living in us. And maybe you would ask, well, how do I know if I have the spirit? How do I know if I've got this deposit, if I've got this guarantee? Well, I think there's some questions that you can ask and you can kind of have a barometer of whether or not You have the spirit of God in you. So one of the questions would be, have you ever received Jesus as your savior and your Lord? Has there ever come this moment where you made a decision to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as savior? And again, we talked about last week, it's not enough just to know facts about Jesus. You need to know him personally. You can't know about him. You need to know him personally. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Here's another question. Do you obey Jesus' commands? Is there a desire on the inside of you to know what he has said and then to do it? 
And then the, the, the reverse, if you sin, when you sin, is there some sort of conviction? Is there something on the inside of you that says, I shouldn't think that, I, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't say that? If you never have that sense of, I, I think what I have done is sin, it is wrong, then that's a pretty good indication that you have either squelched the Holy Spirit completely or you don't have him in your life. Another question that you can ask is, do I have the fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure? The fruit of the Spirit we find in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if you have those things in, in growing measure in your life, you can be pretty sure, yeah, I've, I've received Christ and I've received his Spirit. Another question that you can ask yourself is this. Are you sensitive to the spiritual activity of the Holy Spirit? Are you sensitive to spiritual activity? Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, the natural person, in other words, a person who doesn't really have a relationship with God, just somebody who is existing without God, without his Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. This is the person that says and looks at spiritual things and says, well, that's ridiculous. And it's not hard to find natural people. You can go on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and you find people who just think that everything's spiritual. It's a joke. Like you believe that. You believe like there was a flood. You believe Noah. You believe that God created things. You, you believe that there was Adam and Eve. You believe these things? Well, that's a joke. Those things are ridiculous to them. Paul goes on and he says, and he, this natural person, is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so you can start asking yourself, people that I know or myself, like if they never ever want to attend church, if they have no desire to worship God, that they have no desire to pray, they have no desire to hunger and long for prayer and communication with God, they get bored at sermons, they get turned off anytime there's a spiritual discussion that comes up, they don't have the spirit of God. They just don't. It's proof that they do not care. It's folly. It's a joke to them. But if you have this longing, this desire to continue to know God through his word, to talk to him in prayer, if your heart is moved as you hear the testimony of others, if you long not just simply to please yourself, but to please your heavenly father, that's a pretty good sign that you have the spirit of God in you, which is a deposit, a guarantee that heaven is your home. And I'm telling you, when you have that kind of assuredness of the Holy Spirit in you, a certain future with him forever gives us courage in the moment, in the present. We are certain. We are certain that there's a better life that's waiting for us and we are certain that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee and we are certain that when we die, we'll be with the Lord. When we die, we'll be with the Lord. A certain future gives us courage in the present. And when you know and you realize that when you die, you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, that gives you courage. No matter what is coming at you now, you realize that everything in front of you is far better than what you've already experienced Paul says this, so we're always of good, what? Courage. That's what we've been talking about. We're always of good courage. We know, there's that word again, certain, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. In other words, we're away from him and his physical presence among us. 
We're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we're walking by faith right now because we don't have the physical presence of Jesus standing right next to us, manifest right here with us in this moment. And so we're walking by faith that one day we're going to walk by sight and not by faith. We'll be walking with Christ and the saints in glory. Now, now none of us have fully experienced death. Now, I have felt that way when I listen to country music. Good, there was some chuckle. I throw those things in from time to time. Just see if you're with me. All right. None of us, like, there's near-death experiences, but we've not truly, like, gone to the other side yet. We have not yet died. But... God has given us some forewarning of some things that we can know and understand, which gives us then confidence. And what we already know, we already read, we're living in a tent. The tent's falling apart and we're groaning. What we have going on right now is a deterioration of our bodies. Every single day, every single year, deteriorating. That's followed then by a departure of our spirit. There one day will be a day when that tent, this body, dies. But when you die, your spirit goes on. And that spirit will either be with Jesus or away from Jesus forever. So we have a departing of our spirit. Your body is dead, but your soul, your spirit, it goes on. It continues to live. And then what we have after this deterioration, the departure is presence with God. Look at verse eight. Paul says, yes, we're of good what? Courage, there it is again. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen? That's where we want to be. We want to be with the Lord. And so there's really only two stages for the Christian, in the body or out of the body. Absent from the Lord physically or present with the Lord physically. And the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. It doesn't teach purgatory. It says, once our spirit has left our body, we are in the presence of Jesus immediately. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today, today you will be with me in paradise. You don't need to wait. You don't need to hang around for a while. You don't don't need to have your soul sleep for a little while. Today you will be with me in paradise. There was a pastor by the name of Dr. Herschel Hobbes. Herschel Hobbs, the the pastor, was sitting at the bedside of his wife who was dying of cancer. And she looked at her husband, the preacher, and she said, what will it be like to die? Pastor Hobbs said all of his theological training and pastoral training didn't really prepare him for such a deep personal question. And he said to his wife, honey, I'm not exactly sure what that moment will be like. But one thing that I do know, I will be here holding your hand on this side of heaven until Jesus takes your hand on the other side of heaven. That's what it is for the believer to pass away. To transfer, just like through a veil or through a door, an opening, you go from this life and then immediately you're in the presence of Christ. I never really know and I'll find out one day and so will you. What is that like? Has Jesus arranged it in such a way because he's over time and space that at the moment of anybody's death who belongs to him, he greets them? What will that be like? What we do know, what we can be certain of, these bodies are falling apart. There's a spirit on the inside of this body that can be made alive through Jesus Christ. And when it departs this body, it will be present 
with the Lord. So deterioration of the body, departure of the spirit, present with the Lord. And then finally, we have a promise of a resurrection, promise of a resurrected body. We're going to be given brand new glorified physical bodies. This is what Jesus said, John 5. Do not marvel at this, Jesus said, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Paul told us in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he says that when Christ returns, that we're, we're all going to be changed. Remember, like in a twinkling of an eye, in like just a moment at the trumpet, and we're going to receive these imperishable bodies, these bodies that they're not going to have any more wrinkles, there's not going to be any more pain, there's not going to be any more weariness. We're told in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 that when Jesus returns, he's bringing with him all of the saints, all of those who have died in Christ. They don't yet have a resurrected body. They are still a spirit. And in that moment, they get a brand new body, an eternal bodysuit, if you will, that's going to last for all of eternity. And that is out in front of us. And Jesus himself is an example of the kind of body and the kind of life that we can expect because of his resurrection. When he's on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he died, his spirit, Jesus' spirit, left his body. That dead body without his spirit was placed in a tomb. Three days later, the same spirit of Jesus filled that body and he rose again to new life. And he has the type of body that you and I get to receive as well. He was resurrected. He is the first fruits. He is the picture of what you and I get to enjoy forever. We know there's a better life that's out in front of us. We know that the spirit of God has been given to us to indwell us as a deposit. And we know that when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. And here's the final thing that we know. We know that we will be rewarded in heaven. Our works will be rewarded. Again, a certain future, an assuredness of what lies out in front of us begins to give us courage in the present. We can begin to face the demands that are in front of us, the challenges of pandemic and social unrest and, and personal problems and burdens and economic upheaval. And we can face all of these things knowing that out in front of us is the life, the good life that God has for us. That brings to us courage. We will be rewarded. Verse nine, so whether we're at home, means in this tent, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Do you aim to please God? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word for judgment seat the word for judgment seat is literally the word bima, right? The bima seat. Uh, you may be surprised to know that I have already been to a bima seat. Uh, the bima seat is in Greek towns. And I've been to the bima seat in Corinth, the place where Paul wrote this letter. A number of us from the church, we traveled to Israel and traveled to lots of other places in the Mediterranean. And one of the places we went was Corinth. And we were able to stand on the bima. The bima in those Greek towns was the place where uh, officials would come and they would uh, give information or they would give rulings over something. They would also, at that spot, award people who had uh, completed some games, like uh, the Olympics. They would receive their crown on the bima. 
And so this bima was a judgment seat. And the judgment seat of Christ will be this place for those who don't know Christ, who have rejected Christ, who want nothing to do with him. That is the place where ruling will be handed down for them. You can read about that further in Revelation chapter 20. But for those of us who are believers, the Bema seat, the judgment seat for us becomes this place of award ceremony. God bless you. Enter into your rest. Good and faithful servant. We realize that there's a reward coming for those who are followers of Christ and not for our glory, but in turn for his glory. I often think about this moment in which you, you read in the book of Revelation, we talk about these crowns and we talk about jewels and we talk about the rewards that, that God would give to us. And I just think that there's coming a moment when we're just gonna take all of that stuff, I'll just take my crown off and I'm just gonna give it right back to him because it is all due him and for him. I'm not trying just simply to get more for me and more for my glory. I do these things so that Jesus Christ might be glorified, not so that I might be rewarded. Yet at the same time, God in his love and his grace, he would reward those who had been walking away from him, rebellious to him when they repent and come to him. He indwells them with the deposit, the guarantee of his Holy Spirit. We then, out of that spirit, love on others, not so that we might be seen but so that Jesus Christ might be glorified. We continue to pour ourselves out for the king of kings so that his kingdom might expand. And one day we will stand before that king and he will say, well done. Being certain that heaven is out in front of us, that gives us courage. And again, we don't know everything that we're gonna experience, but we do know it's good. We do know there's gonna be some rewards. We know there's gonna be a celebration. We know there's a pretty big meal that's being prepared and it is a place of joy. And all of that, all of that celebration, all of that joy, we long to get there. There was a little boy and he was playing with his pet turtle. And all of a sudden his pet turtle turned blue and flipped over on his back, which looks like this. Little boy was sad. He was upset. And so he runs to his daddy and tells him what happened. And the father kind of sized up what was going on. So the dad started telling the little boy about the glories of heaven where dead departed turtles go. He saw that the boy was still sad. And so he told his son, look, we're going to do this. You can have a celebration party for your dead turtle. You you can invite all of your friends and we're going to have ice cream and cake and there's going to be games, and we're going to have a great big party. And the boy brightened up. He was just so excited. The father said, let's go get that little turtle ready to bury. And the little boy's thinking about who he's going to invite and what kind of ice cream. And when they opened up that box, there the little turtle was, walking around like nothing happened. With a strange expression on his face, that little boy looked up at his dad and said, Dad, let's kill him. A certain future gives us courage today. What do we have to be afraid of? We can step into life, real life. We, we know that through Christ, there are better things waiting for us. A certain future gives us courage in the present, and we can live confidently unafraid of death because Jesus Christ came and he conquered that final enemy so that we could have a life, so that we could have the life that is best, which is yet to come. We know that if this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building, a home, not built by human hands, but by an eternal God in heaven. We know, we know that there's a better life waiting for us. 
We know we have a deposit of the spirit of God on the inside of us. We know that when we die and we go to heaven, we're going to be in the presence of God and we know that we will be rewarded. I'm going to close with with this quote from Ken Geyer. Ken says this, death, it's the most misunderstood part of life. It's not a great sleep, but a great awakening. It's that moment when we awake, we rub our eyes and see things at last, the way that God has seen them all along. A certain future gives us courage today. Let's pray. Would you stand as we pray? Stand. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that none of eternal life is possible because of our own goodness, because of our own perfection. It's only good because you're a good God. You have designed life after this life so that we might know you forever. You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to cover our sins, so that we might know you now and forever. You filled Christ with his spirit. You resurrected him from the grave, giving us this first fruits, giving us this life that we can now have and enjoy. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for withholding your wrath. Thank you, God, for your grace, the gift of salvation, the gift of life now and life eternal. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ that we would lift our heads, that we would begin to focus and fix our mind on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, and we would live that faith out now, that this understanding of life in front of us would give us meaning now in the midst of turmoil and challenge, that we would not shrink back, but filled with your spirit, filled with your love, we would march forward courageously knowing that there is a good future, there is a good God with us right now. Father, for any, for any who may have heard this message and they're not quite sure yet, is heaven my home? Call them to you, Father. Thank you for revealing yourself to them. I thank you that their yes to you is eternal life. Their repentance of sin, their walking in a new direction to follow you is life and joy and peace. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for all that you are doing among us. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillroad.cc. God bless you.